0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live Podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you have your Bible with you, open it to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Don't you love when children uh, say some cool things around special occasions or holidays? Five-year-old Brian had a pivotal verse in the Easter program. He was supposed to recite Luke 24, six. He is not here, he is risen. But unfortunately, you never know when they're that young, when they get in front of everyone, whether or not they're going to make it. And sure enough, he got up there and saw all the people and froze. Well, the director tried to help him by mouthing the words to him. And he looked at him and he smiled. A little five-year-old grabbed that microphone with confidence. He stood and said, he is not here. He is in prison. Well, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not in prison. (laughs) Also, a five-year-old was riding with his dad, and they drove past the cemetery, and right up close to the road was a big pile of dirt and a freshly dug grave, waiting probably for a funeral procession to get there. A little boy told his dad, he said, Look, Dad, one of them got out. Well, next time you drive by the cemetery, you remember Jesus got out. I want to begin reading in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and another disciple and were going to the tomb. So though they both ran together and another, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when he had said, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go To my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. You've probably read that account many times. You've probably heard that account many times, but I don't know that you've noticed. There are some reactions to this in this chapter. And one of them I haven't read yet, but I'll I'll mention in a moment. There are reactions to the empty tomb. Now, speaking of reactions, I uh, read of a farm boy who decided to play a prank. He had some leftover Easter eggs, the colored eggs. So he decided he went into the chicken house and he put a colored egg in every one of those chicken nests or baskets, whatever you call them, wherever they lay. A few minutes later, the rooster walked in, saw all those colored eggs. He stormed outside and killed a peacock. And that is a reaction. You won't remember anything else today, but you'll remember that stuff. We have an empty tomb here and some people who came to this tomb and all of them responded differently. And that's what I want you to think about for a moment. How would you respond if you were in this situation and you were one of these, where would you fit into this? You may have read some of Josh McDowell's books. He's written over a hundred books. One of the latest ones, well, not, probably not the latest, but one of them is called Evidence for the Resurrection. But his first book that sort of put him on the map was Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And Josh McDowell was an atheist. And he set out to disprove Christianity. The problem he ran into was the resurrection of Jesus. He said the evidence was so insurmountable that he couldn't get around it. In fact, he literally later came to know Jesus as his Savior because of the, the validity and the proof and the evidence that's there. Now, in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, He said all but four of the major world religions, all of them except for four, are based on some theory or or proposition, some philosophical thought. But the four major religions, the other four, are based on a person. Judaism, of course, they claim Abraham as the founder. And Abraham died in 1900 BC. You have Buddha, And Buddha's followers will tell you that when he died, he passed away into utter nothingness. And that's what their goal is, to become utterly nothing. And then on June the 8th, 632, at the age of 62, Muhammad died and was buried. And thousands go to his tomb every year, devout Muslims. Only Christianity has an empty tomb. You see, the tomb was empty. No one ever doubted that. In fact, did you know the Jews, even at this time, knew the tomb was empty? The Romans did too. They just couldn't figure out why it was empty, but they all will state the fact that the tomb is empty. Some of you have been with me to Israel or went with us to Israel, and you know we've been in that tomb. It's empty. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't believe that unless some of you have a drug problem and somebody drug you in here today. (laughs) And maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's how you feel. But I want you to see the reactions here. First, we see the confidence of John. The first to arrive at the tomb was John. Have you ever wondered why? Now, John wrote the book of John. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. You ever wondered why John put in here... He outran Peter. I mean, that detail is right here, and maybe he's maybe John was younger. I don't know, and why he outran him, but he did, and he put it in there. Peter took off. They both were running to the tomb, and and John outran him. John got there first, but John stopped and didn't go in. You ever wondered why? Well, I can't tell you exactly why, but I, I wonder if there were several thoughts that went through. His mind. First of all, he might have been afraid. He might have been afraid of several things. He, he could have been afraid that maybe this was a, a joke or a, a, um, it wasn't real, and maybe they had just moved the body of Jesus, and the last thing he wanted to do was go in and see the mangled body of Jesus after the crucifixion. He might have thought it was a trap, it's a setup. Maybe the Roman soldiers were hiding somewhere and if he went in there and other disciples went in there, they would arrest him. Well, I don't know why he didn't go in there, but we do know that he stopped right there from going in. And after a few moments, Peter arrives and he doesn't hesitate. He just goes in there. That's sort of like him, isn't it? And when they got in there, they found that the linen clothes were lying there like Jesus had just disappeared out of them or or resurrected. He he folded up the cloth that was over his head. They both saw the evidence. The evidence was there. Jesus was gone, but only John believed. The scripture says in verse 8 that he saw with understanding and believed. The empty grave was enough evidence for him. Jesus really had risen from the dead. Now, later in the chapter, I'll read it in a moment, but Jesus actually was talking to Thomas when he said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And a lot of you are that way. You've never seen Jesus. You sing about him. We pray in his name. We're looking for the return of Christ. You committed your life to him, but you've never seen him. And yet you believe. Because that's the only way you can come to God is through belief, through faith in Jesus Christ. Why do we believe? Because our belief is based on reasonable evidence. It's based on, it's not a a shot in the dark, but you see the first reaction here is belief. And many of you are already there. You're like John. You've got confidence. You know Jesus is alive. For one thing, He lives in you. But you also see the confusion of Peter. Peter was a little slower. Maybe he was older. He probably, Well, I know he was older. Maybe all those years of fishing out on the Sea of Galilee, and he's having trouble with arthritis. I don't know why he was so slow. Or maybe it was because he really might find Jesus there. You know, the last time that Peter had seen him was right after he denied him the third time, and Jesus looked at him. Maybe he was afraid if I go there. maybe. What if Jesus is alive? You see, he felt the pain of his past. Later on, Jesus tells Mary, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. Jesus knew what he was going through, but there are people like that today, some watching online, some here in this room. You are worried that you've got just too much history in order to come to Christ. He could not possibly forgive you. You've done too much wrong. How could he even begin to love you after all that you've done? But I've got some great news for you. That's exactly what the resurrection is all about. It means that forgiveness is real. That our sins have been forgiven. Peter went in and examined the evidence for himself. He saw the, 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 the cloth that had been wrapped around his body and the piece of cloth that was around his head, and he knew something had happened. And if you read in Luke chapter 24, you find that, that Luke says that Peter was wondering in himself. He was confused. He was trying to figure out what on earth has happened here. And then he did something that I think is foolish, and you've probably never thought about that. but look at verse 10. It says, Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. If he had just stayed a little bit longer, he would have seen Jesus. You know, too many people don't have enough evidence to place their faith in Jesus Because they don't hang around long enough to find out he's real. They just go to their homes. They don't spend any time looking at the Bible. They don't spend any time looking at the facts, the evidence, looking at it for real. They don't spend any time with God's people. They just walk away. And I hope that you're not one of those people today that just walks away and says, "You know, I really don't care, but I challenge you to stick around long enough, to come back enough, to know that Jesus is alive and he will affect your life. We also see the crying of Mary. Mary Magdalene had become a follower of Jesus early in the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. She's from the little town of Magdala, By the way, they recently unearthed the synagogue there. When we get to go back next April, you're going to be able to walk in that synagogue. That synagogue is actually where Jesus was in there. But I digress. She became a Christ follower after Jesus had delivered her from seven demons. Mark 16, 9 and Luke 8, 2 tell us that. And seven is the number of completion, which tells us that Jesus completely delivered her. He didn't leave any behind. And when Peter and John left, she stayed, and, and she looked in the tomb, and I don't know when she got there, we don't know. But she stayed, and she looked in the tomb, two angels sitting there. and they asked, "Why are you crying?" I also want you to notice in verse 1, it says that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. Now, I know it meant nighttime. I'm aware of that. But you know what? I can't help but also realize it was one of the darkest moments in her life. Emotionally, spiritually, she probably was depressed People get depressed when you lose something that is most valuable to you. And Mary lost that which was more valuable to her than anything else. Think about it for a moment. What had Jesus done for her once he had released her? Now, those of you who have little kids, well, he released her from the demons. It also, she had some peace. That kind of goes together. Those of you who have little kids, a bunch of them, and they're always pulling at you and hollering at you. Can you imagine having seven demons in you telling you things and doing all that and all of the turmoil that she was in? And when Jesus delivered her, she found a peace like she'd never had before. And I want to tell you, Jesus Christ can give you peace like you've never had before. Rel- religion doesn't give you peace. Jesus Christ will. She also found forgiveness for all the things that she had done under all that demonic de- oppression and possession, and, and she found forgiveness. She found somebody to believe in. Jesus Christ knew where he was going, and he had delivered her, and she was one of that small group that followed Jesus around and helped support him and, and helped minister. Some You've seen that, that um, series, The Chosen, and it depicts her following that group. Well, that's an accurate portrayal. She lost someone to believe in, and she also lost leadership. She was lost without Jesus. She'd given her life to Jesus. His, his life had given her meaning. Now he was gone. There's some of you who wonder what's, ra- what's wrong with you. Maybe you've had relationships that have broken up, or you've had some great disappointments in your life, or maybe you're afraid some of you today are saying, I'm, I'm there may be some of you here today, just or you're afraid that, you know, that God's mad at you and, and, and you maybe you think he's not around. Well, Mary wanted to see Jesus, and she got her desire because Jesus appeared to her and she said, I have seen the Lord. There's one more reaction I want to call your attention to in verse twenty four. Now, Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hand the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You notice he didn't say, I can't believe. I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the door being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. There are a lot of people today who just can't believe about Jesus because they say, unless I can see him and unless you can prove to me by science, unless you can prove to me by history that he's alive, I will not believe. But here's the sad part of it. The evidence is there. Reliable evidence is there. Our faith is not a shot in the dark. Our faith is based on reasonable belief and evidence I mentioned to you Josh McDowell, and I challenge you to read his books. But but listen to me. I told you that he couldn't get around the insurmountable evidence of the resurrection. So let's talk about it for just a second. For those of you who may think, well, I'm only here because I came because of somebody and whatever. I'm only here just being nice, and I'm glad you're being nice. But for those of you who just think, well, that Jesus stuff, I just don't believe it. Let me me share a couple of things with you. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only reasonable explanation of the empty tomb. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at all of the precautions that were taken when Jesus was put in that tomb, I won't even spend time talking to you about the 90 pounds of spices that were put on him to encase his body to put him in the tomb. But let's just talk about when they put him in the tomb, what were the religious leaders afraid of? That the disciples would come and steal his body and then tell everybody that he had arisen. And so they put a guard. Pilate ordered a Roman custodia in front of the tomb. Now, most of you have in your mind a couple of guys with a mohawk helmet and a miniskirt and a spear standing in front of that tomb. <laughs> don't you? That's a mental picture for you, isn't it? That's not a Roman custodia. A Roman custodia could be compared to the Army Rangers or the Navy SEALs, six to 12 men, highly trained They were trained to defend six square feet of ground. Many times they would fight back to back. These guys, if they were ever caught sleeping while on duty, history tells us many times they would strip them of their clothes, set them on fire, and burn them in their own clothes. Or they would execute them on the spot. That would be an incentive to stay awake, wouldn't it? And yet, the Bible tells us that they fell as dead or asleep as dead. And some would say, well, they fell asleep, and the disciples came in and stole the body. Well, there's another problem is the seal on the tomb. Roman seal. If you ever broke a Roman seal and they caught you, you were crucified upside down. You didn't break a Roman seal. And then there's that stone that most people estimate to be about 4,000 pounds, two tons. And the scripture tells us they didn't roll it so somebody could slip out, it was away from the tomb, it had been moved. So some would say, well, you know, Jesus just swooned. He fainted on the cross. And when they put him in the tomb and the coolness of the tomb revived him and he got up and he slipped out and they were asleep and he slipped out. Really? And then there are those who say that the disciples went to the wrong tomb. I'm telling you, it's the only reasonable explanation for the empty tomb. They didn't sneak in there and steal him. And some have said, well, well, the Romans and the Jews, they moved the body and put it someplace else. Now, why would they do that? All right, enough of that. What about the changed lives of the disciples, of the apostles? Now, these are the same guys that fled in the Garden of Gethsemane Peter tried to take them on. He pulled out a sword and cut the ear off of one of them. Jesus rebuked him and healed the soldier, and then they all fled. They all left. You find them in John chapter 20, hidden in a room for fear that they're going to be next. They were wanted men. If they killed Jesus, they were going to find these 12 or these 11 that were left. They're going to find them, and they're going to try to get them too until something happened. They all met together and decided they were going to create a lie, didn't they? No, all of them but one died a martyr's death. And even the last one, John, who lived to be in his 90s, tradition tells us he was boiled in oil. We don't know for certain that he survived. And then he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. But all the other apostles died a tragic martyr's death. Let me ask you something. Would you believe, would you die for a lie? I don't think so. I mean, there's been a lot of lies through the years, but when it came right down to it and you were about to be executed, would you die for it? I don't think so. And then there were those who would say, you know, he only went to his friends. When he appeared, he resurrected. He only went to his followers and to the people who were favorable toward Christianity. Oh, really? Have you ever heard of a guy named Saul? Saul of Tarsus, you read in the book of Acts where he is, he hates Christians, and he hates Jesus, and he is helping to persecute them. He's on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, and Jesus appears to him. (laughs) What happened to Saul? Not only did they change his name, but changed everything about him. He became the defender of the faith, and most of the New Testament has been, pay, been penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through him. You tell me what changed his life. Right. Yes. Only Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul even said Jesus appeared to over 500 people. You're talking about a witness group. Can you imagine how long it'd take to do a trial when you had 500 witnesses? Are over 500? Now, let me ask you this Do you know anyone you knew them before Jesus and after Jesus came into their life? Has their life changed? Has your life changed? You see, we haven't seen Jesus yet. And I emphasize, yet. Because if I draw my last breath, I'm going to step into the presence of Jesus to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And if Jesus comes back and takes his people, takes the Christians, takes the family, we're going to see him then. I haven't seen him yet, but I've seen so much evidence Now, let me ask you this. What's your response? What's your reaction here? Have you ever noticed there are a lot of people that are like John? A lot of you are like John. You've got confidence you know Jesus. Hallelujah. Some of you feel like Peter. Mm, I've disappointed him. I thought I was in there and I've disappointed him. I've got some good news for you. Every person in this room... Has disappointed Jesus at some time. Amen. None of us in here got it all together. You know, and if I ever did get my act, if I, if I ever did get it all together, I'd probably forget where I put it. <laughs> all of us in here are that way. You weren't saved based on your own merit, you weren't saved on what you do, you were saved <laughs> because of what He did. And no matter what you've done, no matter if you think you've disappointed him, your sins have been forgiven. You find in John chapter 21, you find Jesus restoring Peter's confidence. It's not that Jesus ever quit loving him, but, but you find him coming to Peter and asking these questions. Peter, do you love me? And Peter's always, always, he's almost afraid to say, I'm afraid to say it because I've said it before and I've let you down you find the restoration of Jesus. Some of you may be like Mary. Your hearts are broken today. And yet you just need an encounter with the Lord himself. And then there are a lot of Thomases. Now, Thomas really isn't that bad of a guy. He's just a bad rap because of this passage right here. And I'm going to talk about him some more on Wednesday night when we're going through about the apostles. But, but the fact is... There are a lot of Thomases today who say, you know, I just can't believe in this Jesus. And here's what happens. The scripture tells us that when you sin, you die inside. Your spirit dies. When Adam and we're, we're created in the image of God, triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are body, soul, and spirit. And when Adam sinned, his spirit died. He's empty. And because of that, his mind, emotions, and will went south too. And he eventually died in his body. And I'm here to tell you that in our society today, there are so many people who are so empty. They have, their sin is separated from God. They're empty. And they don't even know who they are or what they are. And they won't know until they have life. I didn't say religion. I said life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. So when you ask God to forgive you and you admit that you have separated from him and you ask him to forgive you, then you realize that Jesus came and lived a sinless life. And he was the only one qualified to die for our sin, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus came and died, and he rose again. He appeared to over 500 people. He ascended into heaven, and on the day of Pentecost, God sent the third person of the Godhead here, the the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit when you receive Christ comes to indwell you and guess what happens you have life and you know who you are you're what you're God's child and you have life and that spirit in you begins to affect the way you think and the way that you live and and the, the way that you serve the Lord. It, it's a process. You're not you're saved instantly. God puts his spirit in you instantly. But coming more like him is a process. And trust me, everyone in it here is still a work in progress. All of us are still a work in progress. So if you're looking at God's people, they're under construction. Foundation is there. They have Jesus Christ, but they're under construction. And then one day, We're going to get a resurrected, glorified, fat-free, pain-free body just like Jesus. I can't imagine people overlooking all of the evidence of what God will do. And saying, unless you can show me, I can see it with my eyes. Well, look at the evidence. Why wouldn't you come to Christ? A lot of things have been said in the name of God that are not right. But I'm here to tell you that God has put all kinds of evidence in front of us. His creation the Word of God, Christians, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, all of this. And for you to deny all of that, you've got to walk around all this evidence to walk into eternity without Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus more than anything on earth today, we want you to know him. You do not have to be a member of this church. I don't care if you join this church or not. I care, but, but that's the least of my worries. I want you to know Christ. Some of you have been burned in church. You've had bad experience. Listen, the meanest folks on earth are, are religious people. Trust me, I know. I didn't say they were believers. I said they were religious A lot of people sit in church every week, just religious. And if you look at them, you're going to go I don't want any of that. But those who love Jesus, their life's never the same again. They're not perfect. They're not perfect. You watch me, I will let you down. You want to know about my sin, ask my wife. (laughs) She knows all about it. I'm still a work in progress, just like you. But if you don't know Jesus... I wouldn't let anything stop me today from saying, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I realize I'm separated from you. I want to come to you. And I ask you to forgive me because Jesus died for me. He rose again. And Lord Jesus, I give you my life right now. And I want to tell you, because of the resurrection, forgiveness is real you can be forgiven. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I pray for those who need to give their life to Christ even now, whether watching online or they're in this room or they even see this on a television broadcast. I pray that they would come to know you right now, that your spirit would draw them, that they would know that you're knocking on their heart's door and they would give their life to you. Lord, I pray you'll give them the boldness to let it be known, I lift up the believers. Some feel like Peter and have disappointed and disappointment in their life. Let them know how much you still love them. Some are like Mary; their hearts are broken today pray that you would make yourself real to them. Some are like Thomas, doubting. Make yourself real, Lord. And thank you for all the Johns in this room who are continuing to believe. But Lord, I pray that during this moment that you would change lives, change a heart. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.